Hello, and welcome back to the Globe Podcast. This episode was written and recorded by Senior Managing Editor Ella Cunio. This week's episode, we will have a recap with opinions surrounding the vice presidential debate with co-editor-in-chief Shane LeJess, a heartwarming story about the pawpaw fruit, and we will be discussing the pros and cons of Clayton High School's virtual block scheduling system with editors Max Hegemeister and Max Keller. Vice President Mike Pence and Senator Kamala Harris debated in the vice presidential debate on Wednesday, October 7th. Taking place at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City, Susan Page of USA Today moderated the debate. Both candidates sat at desks that were 12 feet apart and separated by two plexiglass shields. The audience was also warned to not remove their masks. This debate, calmer than the previous, has still sparked multiple controversies. Here to talk about this debate, we have CHS Jr. and co-editor-in-chief of The Globe, Shane LeJess. Shane, thank you so much for being on today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. So, lots of questions come to my mind about your thoughts on the debate. I think I'd like to start with how you think it compares to the presidential debate. Well, I think we can all agree that it was much more debate-like. It was... A, a great deal more respectful and a bit calmer. So I think on that front, it was much better. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was definitely inspiring to see a woman of color on the stage. Certainly, certainly. And I think just a woman at all, because uh, Harris is the first woman who's ever participated in a vice presidential debate. Yeah. Do you think that the vice presidential debate holds more persuasive powers this election than in previous elections? Well, I think most certainly. And one of the reasons that I would say that is because Mike Pence um, was the head of the coronavirus task force. um, And that is, of course, one of the biggest issues that's facing the election right now. Um, And so I think if something similar were to happen for uh, the Biden-Harris campaign, uh, should they win in November, the vice presidential seat holds a bit more influence than it did in 2016. Yeah, for sure. In addition to that, Biden is 77 and Trump is 74 and Trump has also contracted a serious illness. And so I think that age and, you know, who their vice president is definitely going to play a role in who people are deciding they want to vote for. Right. Especially because Biden has yet to have to have to contract coronavirus. And so if he were to do that uh, while he's in power before the election, um, that may put more pressure on Harris to be ready to lead. Yeah, for sure. Um, do you think that the candidates avoided or dodged questions? Um, I think there was definitely, you know, some avoidance, some politicking on both sides uh, to sort of spin questions into ones that they'd like to answer, um, but much less than the presidential debate. And I think on both sides, you know, there was about as much as you can expect from a presidential or a vice presidential debate. Yeah, for sure. I thought it was interesting that both Pence and Trump evaded a question about the peaceful transfer of power. Uh, Pence said, quote, when you talk about accepting the outcome of the election, I must tell you, Senator, your party has spent the last three and a half years trying to overturn the results of the last election, end quote. I thought that was really interesting. Um, Yeah, no, um, I think that is really interesting. And it is hard for a uh, losing party or any of its constituents to accept the results of an election. Um, And while I am a little bit scared by the... um, uh, magnitude of the uh, 
statements that Trump and Pence and many of their supporters have made uh, regarding the peaceful transfer of power. I do have faith in our democracy, so I don't think that we have anything to be really worried about. Yes, for sure. And finally, can we please talk about the Pence, uh, the fly on Pence's head? Um, I will say that was a very bizarre event. Um, not something I think any of us saw coming. Yeah, uh, for sure. And it sat there for two minutes and three seconds according to a TV newscaster from California that clocked the fly screen time. Yeah, I think that's definitely something to be remembered as a little bit of a bizarre event in politics. Yeah, I thought it was pretty amazing that Biden and his team had already made fly swatters that sold out overnight. Yeah, I will give them a few points for that one. Yeah. So Shane, do you have any other comments that you'd like to add about the vice presidential debate or the election in general? Um, As for the debate, I think it was um, much more of a success than the previous one. Uh, being the presidential debate, um, I think a lot more um, actually actual speaking on different matters was uh, occurred. So I think overall um, it was much more successful. And I hope that there is no um, coronavirus scare after this one, as I believe um, there were more measures put in place as to the coronavirus procedures. Yes. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. For our next story, we have the staff ed for the October issue, which is now available on issue issuu.com slash globe. Written by co-editor-in-chief Sophia Erlin, her story discusses the pawpaw fruit. The pawpaw is a small decadous tree. Negative? Negative? The pawpaw is a small deciduous tree native to North America. According to the National Park Service, the pawpaw is the largest edible fruit native to North America. But while this fruit is indigenous to the U.S., most Americans have never heard of it. According to The Atlantic, the pawpaw was voted the American fruit most likely to become popular by agricultural experts in 1916. But, because it is very difficult to grow, doesn't have as large of a yield as other fruits, and has a short shelf life, fruit growers stopped growing pawpaw and it never came close to the status scientists predicted. Pawpaws look similar to a mango, except that they're green and range in size. The ones I found were about half the size of my palm. On the inside, pawpaws have yellow flesh and large brown seeds running down the center. Many describe the flavor as a mix between banana and mango with hints of pineapple, apple, and vanilla. Pawpaws can be eaten raw, cooked in pies, and most popularly, made into ice cream. CHS sophomore Ivy Reed described the taste as like a banana papaya gummy bear, but with a little bit of funkiness, a hint of tartness, and a slightly bitter aftertaste. Pawpaw season is September to October, so now is the perfect time to try it. It's not every day you get to try a new fruit, especially one that grows right next door. Since pawpaw is still hard to find, the best place to look is the farmer's markets. However, if you're up for a challenge, you can either go foraging for pawpaws in a park known to have the trees, the globe is not responsible for any damage caused by eating random fruits from the woods, or plant your own pawpaw tree. However, if none of these options sound appealing, you can check out Bull Rush STL, a local restaurant that serves modern Ozark cuisine. Bull Rush owner and chef Rob Connolly harvest and serve pawpaws in unique ways. I prefer to do the savory things with it, so I make a big pot of Mexican mole, and the pawpaw becomes the sweetener, Connolly said. Similar to Reed, Connolly described the pawpaw flavor as having hints of papaya and funk, but unlike many, Connolly doesn't taste the banana flavor. I hear it all the time. It's a mixture of banana and pineapple and mango. 
I guess I understand why you're saying that. And I don't know that they're right or I'm right. But I think it's just our brain saying, this is a tropical fruit. I don't know what to do with it. To me, it's more of a combination of a funky or fermented mango and papaya, Connolly said. Connolly's advice for those looking to harvest their own pawpaw is to look in the low spots in forests. Because pawpaw rots so quickly, the fallen pawpaw has a strong fermented smell that guides foragers to it. Once you've found a pawpaw tree, lightly shake it and harvest the fallen fruit. Once you harvest the fruit, cut it open long ways around, pull out the seeds, and enjoy. People go out and gather pawpaw when they're not ripe and put them in a bag and ripen them in their kitchen. A couple of years ago, my sous chef and I did an experiment. We gathered the fresh ones, and then we did a blind side-by-side taste test. There's no comparison. Right on the tree is the only way to go, Connolly said. As we enter a strange and isolating fall, there is no better time to connect with our local community. And what a better way to do it and connect to Missouri than to eat some pawpaw. For the October issue of The Globe, we discussed the pros and cons of the block schedule for CHS students. Here to comment is Max Hegemeister. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So in your story about the pros of block scheduling, you discussed sleep and according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, earlier start times before 8.30 are, quote, a key modifiable contributor to insufficient sleep as well as a circadian rhythm disruption in this population, end quote. I really wanted to get your thoughts on this topic. Yeah, so um, for the new schedule for the virtual, we start school at 9 p.m. and we end at 2 p.m. And so usually this is going to extend the amount of sleep we have about an hour because the school time has you know started an hour later in the day. Um, this sleep, this extra sleep we've get, gotten is huge. So I know as a student and a lot of other students, they go to bed really, really late. Mm-hmm. And so that extra hour is a really, really, you know, it really helps our health because as you know, teens, we need a lot of sleep. And yeah. I know it's like seven to eight hours for teenagers. And that extra hour puts me, you know, in my personal life in that, you know, healthy range. Yeah, for sure. And um, just another thing to add in here, like right now, getting extra sleep can definitely impact our health and getting healthier. And that's definitely something we want to consider, right? Yeah, I know with um sleep and mental health is a really big issue during this quarantine. Yeah. And the more sleep we have is... um can really increase our mental health or really um, keep it, keep us sane during yeah. this really weird time. For sure. Um, and then also, you know, when we have this nine to two schedule right now for virtual learning, can you talk about like more time to manage your homework and just like more time during the day that is not just learning with a teacher online? Yeah. So Clayton High School, I know is a very rigorous school. So I have a lot of homework. I know, um, and sometimes it's really hard. It's really overwhelming. So having this block schedule, the four classes one day, the four classes the next day, I mean, it, it, it shrinks the homework load in half. I only have to worry about half of it at night. And so not only does it just decrease my stress, but I have time to go outside. I can spend time with friends safely. I can um, maybe participate in extracurriculars more usually than I would. So that extra free time is really crucial 
Yeah, for sure. And just a note to all students, you know, you can use this free time for different things like trying new activities or, you know, maybe trying a new sport. And so I think that that is definitely beneficial. So, Max, do you have anything else you want to add before we finish up? Um, not really. I would just like to restate that the um, more sleep that we have and the more access to free time is really crucial and it really helps our mental health during these times that are really hurting our mental health. Yeah. Thank you so much again for being on. And for our next segment, we're going to move into Max Keller. Next, to discuss the cons of the block schedule, we have pro-con section editor Max Keller. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on our podcast. Yeah. Great to be here. Um, so one of the things you mentioned in your article is that we would have less learning time if when we go back to school, we keep up with the block schedule. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So if we do keep up with the block schedule, um, each day is going to be shorter instead of like an eight to three. We're going to be at a nine to two schedule, which is pretty obvious. Um, but the thing that uh, kind of sucks about it is that each class during the week is going to take up less minutes than a normal schedule, even though each class is extended during the day to 55 minutes. Um, during the week, you're only going to have two to three classes, which is going to make up at a lack of time for each class during the week. Um, and that's just going to uh, not allow teachers to teach the same level of content that they usually are expected to throughout the year, especially for AP classes. Yeah. So that's another thing you mentioned that I wanted to talk about is like the difficulty of classes. So can you talk a little bit about that with AP classes and how it's going to make it harder for students? Yeah, so if you don't have as many minutes as you're expected to throughout the week or the year for classes, obviously the content's going to be crunched together and um, there's it's going to be faster paced and more difficult for the students. And while this doesn't really matter for some classes, for AP classes, it definitely is an issue um, just because the content of AP classes is already, in some cases, already kind of crunched together and very stressful towards the end of the year when the AP test comes together. So if the teachers don't have as much time to teach the same level of content to their students, it's not going to be very pleasant for the kids trying to get a good score on the AP test. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can you also comment on the athletic schedule and how that'll play a factor into you know when we can have games and stuff? Yeah, so if we have a 9-2 to schedule, um, kids will get out obviously at two but the athletic schedule will probably remain exactly the same because other schools will still have an eight to three schedule or something like that so the scheduled games for our area will still be as if we have an eight to three schedule so students who get out at two and have a sports game or a sports practice will have to wait until about three to be able to go to those games which will take a long time and be very boring and it's most likely that the school will still want to bust the students to these games for safety reasons so the students will most likely have to wait at school for an hour or more to be yeah. able to get bus to these games um and then just one last note um you also mentioned that it might affect the breaks throughout the school year like winter break and stuff can you comment on that yeah so for missouri we have a, a number of hours that each school has to be in session for to be able to um qualify as a public school and so if we shorten the schedule time to a nine to two schedule we'll have to make up for the loss of hours in other ways. And the only way we could really do that would be to cut down on breaks and such. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This was super helpful.
This has been another episode of the Globe Podcast. Thank you for your listening support and make sure to check out chsglobe.com.